Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. I'm Anthony Buzzard inviting you again to search the Scriptures with us to investigate the text of the Bible as we continue to probe Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel or good news about the kingdom of God. We've been pointing out that the earth and the land are the subject of multiple prophecies throughout Scripture. God is very interested in the future of our planet. It's a great mistake to imagine that this planet is going to be burned up and that we're all going to disappear to realms beyond the sky. That's false to the biblical picture. The Hebrew Bible, those prophets who wrote under the inspiration of God the Father in Old Testament times, unitedly picture a time coming on the renewed earth, this planet restored, when society will be completely different from what it is now. Today we have evils of all kind rampant in our so-called developed countries and also in those less well-developed Time is coming, however, when government is going to be of a different order and a different type altogether. Jesus is going to supervise a new world order when he returns in power and glory to sit on the throne of David that was promised to him. As you remember, the angel Gabriel in Luke chapter 1, verses 32 to 35, announced that the Lord God will give the Messiah the throne of his father David, and he's to be called the Son of God precisely because of that virginal conception, that miraculous creation in the womb of Mary produced the Son of God, according to Luke 1, verse 35. That Jesus is the one of whom all the prophets of Israel spoke, and his destiny is to supervise the world in the coming kingdom of God on this earth. It's a fundamental mistake to imagine that Jesus is just coming back for a second visit and then to rush off to heaven. That's quite false to the biblical picture. We're talking in the Bible about the second coming of Jesus, not a temporary visit. His feet will stand in that day on the Mount of Olives. We read in the 14th chapter of Zechariah, and he's going to rule and reign in the land, according to Jeremiah, the 23rd chapter. Messiah is destined to place his feet on this planet as God, his Father's representative, and to rule and reign with his saints for the first stage of the kingdom of God, which will be the thousand years, and after that, into the ages of the ages. That's what Jesus meant by the kingdom of God. And he urges us Christians to pray always, Thy kingdom come. We're pleading there for God to send his Son back to redress the awful injustices which now plague our earth and society, and to introduce that unparalleled period, an era of peace and harmony and governmental stability which will prevail to the far corners of the earth when Jesus is the first successful world ruler residing in Jerusalem, as all the prophets have promised. I've been emphasizing the fact that Jesus divides history, the history of mankind, into two major sections present age and the coming age of the kingdom. When people ask about salvation in the New Testament, they inquire, what shall I do to inherit the kingdom? Notice, not what shall I do to go to heaven, but what can I do to inherit the age to come, or the life of the age to come, or the kingdom of God. The expression eternal life or everlasting life in the New Testament 
is a good rabbinic Jewish expression, meaning literally the life of the age to come. So every time they speak about salvation in the Bible, they're referring to the age to come of the kingdom of God on the earth to be established when Jesus returns. Jesus then sees the present age as the present evil age. Those actually are the words of Paul in Galatians 1 verse 4. But Jesus would have agreed that societies as presently organized in opposition to God and as disobedient to his laws and his ways of doing things are in fact evil. That's why we're living in the present evil age. Despite all the blessings of the sun rising upon us daily and the many comforts that we enjoy in Western society, things are evil from a biblical point of view. That's why Jesus urged his followers to pray, Thy kingdom come. We're praying there for the advent of a new world order in terms of the kingdom of God beyond the second coming. I'm not here speaking of a new world order this side of the second coming. I'm not referring to any kind of so-called reconstruction that Christians might think they could effect on their own without the presence of Jesus in Jerusalem. No, we're talking about the genuine new world order which will begin only when Jesus appears visibly in the sky and sets his feet on the Mount of Olives, as Zechariah 14, verse 4, promises. Now, just before that time of the arrival of Jesus in power and glory, there will be massive trouble and tribulation centered in events in the Middle East. The entire world, in fact, will be shaken by this stupendous event, which in the Bible is known as the parousia, the P-A-R-O-U-S-I-A, the parousia, or second coming of Jesus in glory. Many passages of prophecy in the Hebrew Bible focus on those times of trouble that will come to the Middle East, and particularly to Jerusalem, just before the second coming of Christ. Now, we don't, of course, know when that's going to happen, but in every generation, a knowledge of these prophecies should be kept alive. In Zechariah chapter 12, for example, in verse 3, we read that it will come about in that day, that future day of trouble, that I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all the peoples. All who lift it will be severely injured. The prophet is referring there to the fact that all those who try to interfere in a hostile way with Jerusalem in the end time will suffer ultimately a grave injury. All the nations, Zechariah 12 verse 3 says, of the earth, all the nations of the earth will be gathered against Jerusalem. And in the Greek version of that third verse of Zechariah 12, we read the following, Jerusalem is going to be like a trampled stone to all the Gentiles, and all the Gentiles will be gathered against it, and every nation will trample Jerusalem down. As Luke said in chapter 21, Jerusalem is going to be trampled down or trodden down until those times of the Gentiles, that final period of oppression by the Gentiles in Jerusalem, until that final times of the Gentiles comes to an end, at the second coming of Jesus, to rescue Jerusalem, the holy city, and to save a remnant of his people, who by that time will be most repentant in view of the suffering that they will have undergone during the period of the Great Tribulation. It's important to note, of course, that Christians are not exempt from tribulation, nor indeed from the Great Tribulation mentioned in Matthew 24 and verse 21. There's no hint in the Scriptures 
that Jesus comes back before the tribulation to remove the saints from the earth to heaven. Now, some of the saints may escape. In fact, one might be protected in one's own home. But the idea of a pre-tribulation rapture, that's to say, a catching of the saints off the earth to heaven before the tribulation, is not found in the Bible. We have articles on that subject, if that would be of interest to you, for a personal Bible study at home. But for the moment, we're concentrating on those times of trouble that will come to the Middle East shortly prior to the second coming of Jesus. We learn then in Zechariah chapter 12 that Jerusalem is going to be trodden down for a period of time by the Gentiles. Now, when that final burst of agonizing trouble is over, the kingdom of God will prevail across the earth. And so we read in the eighth chapter of Zechariah that old men and old women will again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each man with his staff in his hand because of his age, and the streets of the city will be filled with boys and girls playing in its streets. And then in verse 7 of Zechariah 8, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I am going to save my people from the land of the east and from the land of the west, and I will bring them back, and they will live in the midst of Jerusalem, and they will be my people, and I will be their God in truth and righteousness. That's a picture of the time coming when the kingdom of God will triumph across the globe. Israel will be restored, peace will come back to Jerusalem, and the Messiah will be there personally, ruling and reigning as king with his saints in the land of Israel, the promised land. Zechariah speaks again of the coming Messiah, known as the famous branch in Zechariah 6, verse 12. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Behold, a man whose name is Branch, for he will branch out from where he is, and he will build the temple of the Lord. And then verse 13 of Zechariah 6, It is he who will build the temple of the Lord, and it is he who will bear the honor and sit and rule on his throne. And he will also be a priest on his throne. And the council of peace will be between the two offices. I must point out, of course, that these prophecies were never fulfilled to the extent to which they are described here in the Hebrew prophets. There was a sort of restoration of Israel, of course, under Ezra and Nehemiah, but the extent of that restoration cannot possibly match the idyllic promises described in so many passages of the Old Testament. For example, again in Zechariah 9, verse 9, we read, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Daughter of Zion means Jerusalem. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey. That part of the prophecy was fulfilled, of course, when Jesus entered the holy city during his ministry here on earth. But then in verse 10 we read this, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem and the bow of war will be cut off and he, the Messiah, will speak peace to the nations and his dominion, his kingdom will be from sea to sea and from the river Euphrates to the ends of the earth. That part of the prophecy has never, of course, yet been fulfilled, but it will be when that kingdom is restored to Israel under the governorship of the Messiah himself. There's another famous prophecy of the Messiah's first coming and his second coming in the fifth chapter of Micah. Micah chapter 5 verse 2 reads like this, 
a prophecy that we know well. As for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from long ago and from ancient days. I notice in passing that that is mistranslated in the King James Bible as days of eternity or everlasting. Modern translations have corrected that misunderstanding. The origins of Jesus lie far back in the history of Israel, but not in eternity. Jesus indeed was promised as the descendant of an ancient family in Israel. He indeed was the promised seed mentioned in Genesis 3 and verse 15. But now in verse 4 we find that the Messiah is going to fulfill a particular role. We read this, He will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. I note in passing that the Messiah has a God. The word Lord in all capitals in your Old Testament designates, of course, the one Lord of Israel, the one God of Israel, Yahweh or Jehovah, as the word is sometimes pronounced. But that Lord God is the God of the Messiah. That Lord God of Israel, we read in Micah 5 verse 4, will be the one who supervises this coming reign of his son, the Messiah. The Messiah, verse 4 says, will rule in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, because at that time he, the Messiah, will be great to the ends of the earth. We leave you with that vision of a bright hope for the future. Join us again as we continue with our investigation of Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God.